Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Tasha Rado looks at the growing trend of college graduates taking gap years. I talk with actress Mary Callanan about her role in the Bridges of Madison County musical opening here in Minnesota next week. And Mike Grimm sits down with two Minnesota Vikings who grew up dreaming of wearing purple for the home team. But first, nearly one-third of students at University of Minnesota campuses statewide say they've had a mental health diagnosis in their lifetime. That, according to a recently released report from a special committee. MNN's Bill Werner covered the story. Bill, are students' needs being met in the mental health area? Well, Scott, one key finding in the report is that student demand for clinical mental health services at the university exceeds current capacity and demand is expected to further increase. The special committee also concluded that, quoting from the report, lack of access to mental health services has the potential to result in missed opportunities to identify, intervene, and prevent suicide a leading medical cause of death for University of Minnesota students. We talk more about the situation with Gary Christensen, who's chief medical officer at Boynton Health Service. It's been recognized, I think, by everybody that mental health is a growing public health issue on campus, and we usually consider it as the primary or the number one public health issue that we're currently dealing with. Um, we think it's really important to address this, too, because uh, we know that uh, mental health services are important because there's a link between poor mental health and uh, academic success uh, that uh, the poor one's mental health is. Uh, we, we can uh, uh, trace that to lower GPAs. Uh, certainly, uh, we have uh, people who uh, have to drop out uh, of uh, courses and uh, even uh, out of their uh, degree program and such because of poor mental health. Students, when they're entering college, of course, are feeling a lot of additional pressures in areas of academics, right, and oftentimes new social social circles, and uh, they're, they're oftentimes living in a different place or they're living away from parents, perhaps, for the first time. Uh, how does this all play into, into mental health stresses, as it were? Well, I think you pointed out uh, one of the most important uh, issues that's going on is as students come into uh, college university settings, they are faced with multiple different transitions all at once, and you identified some of them. Uh, one of them is academics. The academic uh, requirements are, are more rigorous. Uh, they're different. Uh, study habits that might have worked before may not work now. Uh, they are transitioning away from previous support networks um, uh, into new ones. They've got new living situations, often uh, sharing space with someone that they have not uh, known before, uh, whereas they may have had their own private space before. Uh, there is more independence to make uh, both good and bad choices uh, along the way. Um, you know, a lot of pro pressure uh, that might distract them uh, away from their studies uh, as such. So it's a lot of transition. And this is also occurring at a time where uh, many problems with mental health uh, we know would de uh, are likely to develop anyways or more likely to develop. Um, and of course, all you use the word stress. I mean, a lot of this translates, uh, of course, into, uh, you know, stress and perceived stress. So can you talk a bit about, then, uh, there are additional resources that would be brought to bear to, to help students. Uh, what specifically are those? One thing that they're looking at, uh, you know, from a broad-based point of view, is uh, looking at our staffing needs. Uh, and the regents will be looking at the overall needs and trajectory 
trajectory of uh, perceived needs for the future. Um, we've been uh, working to try to keep up with demand on resources. Uh, here at Boyne Health itself, uh, we've uh, increased our staffing by 60% in the last four years, uh, yet demand continues to rise at a level that we've had a hard time meeting everybody's uh, uh, needs. So um, we need to continue to look at uh, uh, what our on-campus resources are going to be and also how to leverage community resources as well. So we're, we're looking uh, at a number of different uh, angles. And, of course, the other thing that Boynton is highly committed to uh, and the university is highly committed to is to look at what are the factors that uh, contribute to stress and can we look at more self-care, uh, public health approach, um, you know, changing environmental stressors that uh, might uh, not be necessary but are getting in the way and such uh, uh, to look at a kind of comprehensive look at mental health. In summary, it's, it sounds like we've got a problem that's growing and, and that you're, you're trying to do what you can to, uh, to address it. Uh, I, yeah, I think that's uh, the the best way to say it. But I'd also I'm going to put a, maybe a little spin on the things too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why the increase in demand, why we're seeing an increase in demand, is also probably a, a positive reflection on some of the other efforts that have been going on on campus and on campuses across the country. And those include um, strong work and stigma reduction. Uh, educating staff and faculty about how to identify students in distress, um, getting students to resources, people being aware of those resources. One thing I'm seeing as far as the growing problem, we, we, we may not actually be seeing an increase necessarily in the number of students that are dealing with uh, 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 significant mental health issues. We may just be seeing more getting to the resources or re- requesting the resources as well. So, um, so in some ways, the, the, the problem is a positive reflection of some things that we've done, but now we have to be able to address that issue as far as the increased demand as well. That's Gary Christensen with Boynton Health Service. Mental health getting a lot more attention in today's society than in the past. And Scott, the U of M apparently is no exception. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Son, uh, can you hand me that big screwdriver? This one, Dad? Uh, no, that's a wrench. Uh, I need the long one close to your foot. Why? Uh, because I need to loosen a screw. Why? Because I have to change the oil filter. Why? Because I love you! <laughs> the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Alright. Now pass me the new filter. Why? Ha <laughs> <laughs> very funny. <laughs> Take time to be a dad today. For more information, dial 1-877-432-3411 or visit us at www.fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. While the vast majority of high school graduates enroll in college right away, others are taking what's called a gap year. MNN's Tasha Radel explains. Thanks, Scott. I'm sure many of you became more familiar with the term gap year after President Obama's daughter, Malia, recently announced she was taking a gap year after graduation. Here to explain more about this growing trend is Phil Trout, a college counselor at Minnetonka High School and president of the National Association for College Admission Counseling. So, Phil, can you explain a gap year? 
Sure, I'd be happy to. It's not a new uh, term and it's not a new experience. So much more common in European countries where students who are graduating from high school choose uh, with purpose to take some sort of gap uh, period of time, uh, sort of an in-between chapters, if you will. So it is sometimes called uh, a service year or an exchange year or a 13th year, but the most commonly used phrase is a gap year. So that the idea is can students choose to do something else, something different, some kind of experience that will allow them to grow personally and perhaps uh, add significantly to their sense of self-confidence, their world vision, et cetera. So it's really an exciting opportunity for students to be able to do something other than chemistry homework or writing a U.S. history paper or prepping for the ACT. And, you know, you, you kind of hit on this a little bit. When we, when we think of a gap year, we often think about a year of service. Um, are we seeing a majority of, of kids, uh, you know, doing a service type thing, or are they looking at other uh, avenues as well? <laughs> oh, my goodness. A sky's the limit as to what they're considering. You know, to be honest, in some instances, what people are doing is they're working to earn money. And yes, of course, in some instances, they're traveling or they're doing a mission project uh, or they're going to live with a relative in another country. So I, I can tell you from personal experience, my wife and I have two daughters, both of whom actually did a gap year following graduation from high school, but they did theirs through the Rotary Youth Exchange Program. So that's a very specific program. Again, the students have to apply for it. They have to be interviewed and then selected for it. But we have one daughter who went to spend a year in Brazil between high school and college. We have one daughter who went to spend a year in Paraguay um, between high school and college. And these were rich experiences that occurred for each of them. Just fabulous. And, you know, when I think of, of um, I, I don't have any kids myself, but if I did and they came to me and said I'm taking a gap year, I think some parents might gasp and, you know, get a little bit afraid that maybe they won't go to college then. Uh, any- no question. Yeah. There's always that potential worry about, uh-oh, time off, uh, suggesting that they're going to now retreat or that they're, or they're going to regress. Uh, And, you know, I mean, for some people, um, the prospect of doing a gap year is just never going to come about because they're so linear, uh, they're they're so type A, uh, they want to have everything planned, they don't want anything to come along that would be new or foreign or, or unanticipated or unscripted. So believe me, it's not for everybody. And of course, again, in the United States, it's just a small minority of uh, young people who choose to go this route. And do you think um, from perhaps maybe when I was in high school or or yourself that the that, you know, curriculum is much more intense and maybe these kids just need a welcomed break? Absolutely. I think you have your finger on it. Um the business of being a high school student uh, of ambition is a full-time job. 
And so for some young people uh, the who, who get caught up uh, in the quest to prepare themselves well to to construct a record of achievement and accomplishment that will earn them admission to a top-ranked college or university. Um, that it's, it's nice for students then to have an opportunity to sort of catch their breath, um, re-energize, recommit, refocus um, by working uh, their way through a gap year experience. Phil, for parents out there that are worried about the costs associated with a gap year, any thoughts on that? I think that it's, it's valuable to point out that a gap year does not need to be an expensive proposition. I think right away, again, of the of a young person who chooses to go abroad for a year and travel, you know, the sense then is, oh, my goodness, that will be so expensive. But there really are some very economical ways to do it. Uh, a website address that I would highly recommend to you uh, would be americangap.org. Uh, that's a treasure trove of resources available and will give families some opportunities to take a look at options that aren't quite so expensive. Lots of different ways that it can be pursued. doesn't have to be just one thing. More times than not, it's that you know somebody's going to work for three or four months and then go do a volunteer service project uh, elsewhere in the country or in a different country for three or four months. Or So try to think of it in terms of some segments as opposed to one full year. All right. Well, Phil, I thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure for me to join you. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. I'll be back with more Minnesota Matters after this. If your walls could talk, what would they say? I have held the same mirror for 13 years. I have been decorated with purple dinosaurs, baseball teams, and football helmets. I have witnessed 33 Thanksgiving dinners and one wedding proposal. I have tiny notches marking the growth of three children. I have caused a learning disability. I am the reason that a fifth grader simply can't sit still. I am responsible for a five-year-old's rage. Just because you can't see lead paint doesn't mean it's not on walls, doors, windows, and sills. Today, lead paint poisoning affects over 1 million children. If your home was built before 1978, your family could be at risk. Let's make all kids lead-free kids. Log on to leadfreekids.org or call 800-424-LED. I am the reason a child has trouble hearing. If your walls could talk, what would they say? Brought to you by the Coalition to End Childhood Lead Poisoning, EPA, HUD, and the Ad Council. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. 
usa.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Vikings wrapped up their mandatory minicamp earlier this week at Winter Park. Next up for the team will be some time off before the start of training camp late next month in Mankato. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm was at team headquarters in Eden Prairie and sat down with two Vikes who grew up dreaming of dressing in purple. Scott Isaac Frichty grew up in football-rich Caledonia in southeastern Minnesota and always wanted to play big-time football. After a standout high school career, he went to Rochester Community Technical College before matriculating to the University of Minnesota to play football. An off-season workout in front of Vikings personnel last spring led to a chance with the Vikes, and Frichty spent last year on the team's practice squad. Now he wants more. He says the organized team activities and the minicamp so far this spring and summer have gone well. It's awesome right now. Excited to be here and uh, work and get around the guys. It's exciting, a lot of fun. I know you want to take that next step. You were practice squad player last year. What what is in the cards? What have you worked on this off season? What what's it going to take to to take that next progression? Well, I think you know learning the playbook and being you know just familiar with everything on special teams is going to be key for me. Um, if I can play special teams and and do it at, a, at an extremely high level, I think that's going to be big. And and also you know learn every position on offense uh, and their receiver core and. And uh, just try and you know make my way and show the coaches that I'm reliable and and uh, can can be a um, you know a strength I guess in in that uh, room. Take me back to a year ago. What what is life like for a guy on the practice roster? What what kind of things is it different than if you're on the active roster for you? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, you do everything that the you know the active roster guys do, but then you know you're doing a little extra lifting um, on the weekends because obviously you're not playing on Sunday. Um, so we, we get you know an extra lift in usually on Saturdays and and maybe a run or whatever the strength coaches had planned. Um, you know you're still a rookie, so you're doing a lot of the things that the veterans want you to do and whatever else you know you're, you can be on show offense, show defense, show special special teams. So you're doing a lot of things to you know get everybody prepared for you know the upcoming game and which I think is is great. You know it uh, it kind of gets you ready for everything if you know if you want to continue to further your career and. And show you what it what it takes to be a pro. So, you know, in my opinion, I feel like we're almost doing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we'd love to be out there playing on Sundays, but um, you know, it was a great opportunity for me, and and I'm excited uh, about this year, hoping to you know get some more action. When you had that opportunity, and they said you're going to be on this practice squad roster, did it fulfill? Was it better than you thought it would be? I mean, I don't know if if I was fulfilled or anything like that, but you know, I just felt like. You know, I, I had made a, a good step in the right direction. Um, obviously, I want to play, so um, you know, I was excited to be here. Obviously, and help help uh, Minnesota. But um, you know, if I can make that active roster, that'd be you know a dream come true. But then the work doesn't stop. Just like being on practice squad, the work never stops, and and you really got to try and strive to be better and better and better every single day. I know you're from Caledonia. You guys, that town and that program that your dad was uh, the coach of was named the, the high school program of the year by this organization, and you went back as part of the, the ceremony. How cool was that here this uh, this last, uh, when was it, I guess, in the springtime? Yeah, um, you know, it was extremely humbling. Um, the Minnesota Vikings uh, organization did a tremendous job. Um, it was awesome, a lot of fun, great time, great atmosphere. Um, and then uh, I believe it was in sports innovation was the kind of the donor or or whatever you want to say, uh, the sponsorship. And they were, you know, top tier too, you know, uh, just straight class and tremendous organization. And, you know, my hat's off to them because it was, I was so glad to be a part of it. But, you know, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun because they did a tremendous job and, and made, made me proud and made, you know, the, the community of Caledonia really proud. 
And last thing for you, of course, you're from Caledonia, you were at Rochester Technical Community, and then on to the Gophers. Are you paying attention to what, what's going on on the U of M campus, too? Well, as you probably know, I follow you on Twitter, so I try and make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, keeping up on my Gophers and, and the recruits that they're getting in and, and everything like that. I, you know, I, I was ecstatic when they hired Tracy. Obviously, I wasn't happy to see Coach Kill go, but... Um, you know, I wish we would have been able to keep them around, but I'm excited for, you know, what the U's got going on, that new uh, um, practice facility and everything like that I think will be huge. Um, we just got to go out and continue to play and get better, and, uh, you know, I think they'll have a great year. That's Caledonia's Isaac Frichty, a Vikings wide receiver hoping to move up from the practice squad. Another Southern Minnesota native also made the team's roster by trying out and earning a spot. Like Frichty, Rochester John Marshall product Marcus Sherrills attended the University of Minnesota and showed flashes of NFL skill through an injury-riddled career. Sherrills first made the Vikings practice squad before eventually landing a permanent spot on the team, contributing mostly on special teams. He, too, is always happy when he's on the football field, even during the OTAs and minicamp. Yeah, it feels really good to get back to work and practicing again, and it's always fun competing and playing. So. There was a time maybe you weren't going to be a Viking here this offseason. You had some options. Take me through that process. Of, uh, at what point did you decide this was where you wanted to come and uh, or come back to? Uh, yeah, this is my home state. Um, they brought me here my rookie year, and I love it here, and I'm glad I'm staying. So. Was it close, maybe, uh, heading elsewhere? Uh, I'm, I'm, ha I'm here now, and that's all that matters. <laughs> As your role continues to progress, I know you've been a good return guy. How do you foresee your role here uh, continuing? Uh, same mentality every year, come in and compete and work hard each and every day and try to get better, and wherever they need me, I'll be, I'll be ready. What's it mean to, uh, to be playing here in your home state? Uh, it's awesome. It's a dream come true. All the support I have and family and friends around, it's, it's great. How good can this team be? Uh, sky's the limit. We're excited. We're a close group and we all compete and we all make each other better. And everyone's working really hard and we're, we're getting better each day. That's Vikings defensive back and punt returner Marcus Sherrills of Rochester on Minnesota Matters on the Minnesota News Network. Scott? Thank you, Mike. More Minnesota Matters after this. You wanted to see me? Yes, please. Have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. <sighs> we want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The musical Bridges of Madison County, based on the immensely popular 1992 novel, opens at the Orpheum Theater next week. Cast member Mary Callanan has seen it all on and off Broadway, including way off Broadway as a cruise ship entertainer. I recently spoke to Mary about her career and the show that brings her to Minnesota. What can people who are thinking about going to this musical, what are they going to see? Well, uh, as well as what they're going to see, they should think about what they're going to hear, which is the two Tony winning, two Tony award winning score by our fabulous Jason Robert Brown. It 
It is, if you know the, either if your listeners have heard, read the Waller book or seen the movie starring Meryl Streep and Clint Eastwood, they already know the story, but what they have never heard is this beautiful, beautiful music by Jason Robert Brown that incorporates, uh, what's interesting about this show is all the characters sing in their own voice. For example, Francesca being Italian sings kind of opera. Robert, who is a uh, wanderer, sings in a more of a troubadour, Gordon Lightfoot kind of way. My character, Marge, who's the next-door neighbor, she fancies her records of Dinah Washington, so I kind of think like that. You know, there are very many different styles, and they're all magnificent. Uh, Mary, in addition to some of the obvious differences, this being a musical, uh, for the dozen or so people, including myself, who didn't read the book, uh, how, <laughs> how close of an adaptation is the, the story in the musical to the book? The story is the same, but what's great about this version of it is where um, a man wrote the original idea. Uh, Marsha Norman, the Pulitzer Prize-winning author, wrote the musical book for this show. So what makes it different is that it's told through Francesca's point of view. It's told through the wife's point of view. So it gives uh, more of, I think, a three-dimensional telling of her story. Um, I know you haven't read the book, but I'm sure you understand what the point of the story is. But this gives more of a why, why this story happened in the first place. She was a Neapolitan war bride from Italy and her husband married her at 21 and brought her here, and she lived happily in Iowa for 18 years until a gentleman walked up the driveway. And Mary, you mentioned just a moment ago you play the neighbor Marge, and uh, tell me a little bit about your character and what your role in the play is. I sure will, because I am not neither in the book nor the, muse- um, the movie. Uh, Marcia Norman wrote my character and my husband's character to represent the audience, to represent the world uh, who watches. Some would call my character nosy. <laughs> I would say concerned. <laughs> uh, we are the lighthearted. Uh, we give a little levity to the story as well. We are y'all. We are watching. We are watching Bud and Francesca. We are watching Robert and Francesca. And you will find in this uh, um, the um, the ensemble and different principals sit in chairs on the stage to watch, to physically watch what's happening in the story. And I, that is also a very big departure from the regular movie or the book, is that like the audience, we too are watching this in real time. We're watching it happen. Mary, when you bring the show here to Minneapolis, you'll be relatively close to Iowa. Are you planning on touring the bridges of Madison County, or have you done that already? Actually, we were lucky enough to open the show. We teched the show in Des Moines, and so I I had gone to see the bridges, and they're beautiful. They, you know, the covered bridges, which I think, uh, I mean, we have them out here on the East Coast in Vermont, at least I've seen them in Vermont. Uh, But we did go to Iowa. Boy, they love us in Iowa (laughs) (laughs) because they recognize the people. They recognize the references and uh, they they are very willing to look at themselves because it's a it's a micro, you know, it's all of us. But it's told through an Iowan landscape. 
I see, according to your bio here, that you've got some uh, done some work on cruise ships, and I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit about that unique experience. I have done, uh, I also, my other job, if you will, is a cabaret performer. I'm that person you saw in the lounge, or I'm the person that you danced to after dinner. And uh, another fabulous way to see the world, certainly a different uh, kind of entertaining than being in a theatrical performance, but still, I love it. I I just love uh, entertaining, so... Mary, are the audiences on a cruise ship different, or do you, you know, you mentioned that there is a little bit of a difference there. Do you do you have to alter your performance style when you're doing um, a performance in those wildly different kinds of venues? <laughs> well, um, having never done an actual theatrical, I know there are theatrical shows on ships. I've never had that pleasure, but certainly... The folks in Minneapolis, when they come to see a show, they're there for a very specific reason. They've purchased a ticket. They know they're going to see a show. When you're on a cruise ship, you are on vacation. You know, it's a different mindset. Your vacation mindset is absolutely intact, and uh, they are there to have a good time, so you want to make sure you make sure they have a good time. The goal is the same, to make sure people have an enjoyable evening, an enjoyable outing, but this is a musical drama that we're doing here in Minneapolis, so that is different from singing uh, standards and up-tempo happy show tunes on a ship. <laughs> but the, uh, the goal is the same. We hope you have had a good evening on either event. Thank you to Mary Callanan for taking the time to chat with me. The Bridges of Madison County opens at the Orpheum next week. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next time for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.